Welcome to the Trophy Podcast. I'm Sarah McGilling. I'm here today with my colleague Shanu Prasad. Hello. And we are both really delighted and excited and a little bit starstruck to be sitting here with beloved Australian storyteller, Emily Rudder. Hello. Hello. Good to meet you. Thank Thank you you for joining us. Um, Now, you're here today to talk about your brand new book, Eliza Vander's Button Box. For all the people listening, would you mind uh, outlining a little bit about what they can expect from your new book? Oh, well, it's it's about a girl called Millie, a shy girl, a quiet girl, and a lot of things are happening in her life. It's changing and she's not quite happy about it. She lives in a little, um, a little beach called Tiji Bay uh, where her father has a, a row of holiday cabins that he rents and she's always been really happy until just the last few months when she seems to be problems everywhere she looks. Anyway, uh, the amazing Eliza Vander turns up at the holiday cabins wanting to rent a cabin and she moves in. Of course, they're all empty because it's winter. So there's, <laughs> she's able to move in. And before very long at all, Millie finds herself running messages for Eliza Vander and discovers that Eliza Vander, with her magic button box and all her, her, uh, her sort of black jelly beans and her weird <laughs> habits, is also a very extraordinary magic person because her... Her button box takes you to other worlds uh, and Millie finds herself in other worlds running messages for Eliza and incidentally solving uh, quite a lot of her own problems and other people's as well. (laughs) It's sort of about... Hearing you talk about it just sweeps me back into the story. I loved this so much. Um, Shana and I have both been talking about it, uh, how much we were charmed by this book. It's really like bursting with whimsy and magic and just such wonderful like you, you have a way of of really I think helping children um, uh, sort of articulate feelings that they kind of don't know how to articulate and um, but doing it in such an engaging and engaging way and I you know I mean that's what happens when you've been you know you're at the top of your craft which you you clearly are here oh, thank um, you. so you know there's lots of books that you know you start good and then get better and da, da, da. there's not heaps and heaps of books that have like the best opening paragraph that just like sets up exactly exactly what the book's going to be. Would you do us the very kind favour of reading us your opening paragraph, please? Oh, the first paragraph. Yeah, and brace yourself, listeners, because after you hear the first paragraph, you're going to be really upset that you can't immediately continue reading the rest of the book. Exactly. <laughs> no one saw Eliza Vander arrive in Tidgy Bay that rainy winter afternoon. No one saw her give a pleased little nod at the five holiday cabins strung along the road that ran beside the beach, and no one saw her eyes twinkle as they turned to the small pointy-roofed house called Spindrift, which sat at the head of a row of cabins like a mother duck leading a line of ducklings. Oh, see? See? You just Uh know. It sets the scene so well. Here's this magical woman appearing and what's going to happen next and and where is this story going to go all of your like reading senses are alight I feel I'm very glad that's what I was hoping (laughs) you would feel um now part of this story involves some traveling into different worlds or patches and pockets as they're referred to Uh, which is another great sewing reference by the way (laughs) yeah (laughs) I loved that um 
And, you know, you've got three different worlds and they're, all, they're quite different. Um, but I really wanted to talk about Blanca. Yes. Uh, where you have the concept of Myces. Myces, yeah. yes. <laughs> Could you explain in that? Blanca, in Blanca, people wear some of the, have some of their emotions not inside their heads but outside. So, for example, their tempers, their curiosities, their uh, senses of humour... So, for example, if you lose your sense of humour or your sense of humour dies on you, it's this poor little fluff ball, you know, in, in a mess that has to be taken to the Mysey Clinic, you know, to be fixed <laughs> up. In other words, they live actually outside you and not inside you. And the people in Blanca think that's by far the best way because then you can look after them and feed them and, you know, make sure that they're well. Um, we think it's strange. They think we're strange because we keep ours locked up inside. But the trouble is, if you have, for example, a temper mm. um, that escapes from its cage, um, it's probably a nasty red crab-like thing that's going to bite you <laughs> and make you shout and yell and get very, very angry. If you lose your temper, you're in real trouble. Exactly. So you have to try and catch it and get it back. And... I think some people in the real world have trouble with losing their tempers and not being able to catch them and put them back in their box. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so. I think some people maybe sitting in my chair might have that <laughs> trouble sometimes. Yes, this is one of the, the parts of the story I feel like yeah, there's really no age limit on no, managing no, no. your emotions. <laughs> oh, look, in a good children's book, there's never an age no, limit. No, 100%. That's so well said. <laughs> yeah. And you, you, uh, when we are talking just before the podcast, you, you mentioned that you know, that was sort of some of your inspiration, actually, for for uh, writing this book was to help, you said? A oh, I, I was talking about the Mises. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. yes, yes. I knew, I knew a, a little boy who had this particular time that I was thinking about had this, uh, oh, lost his temper quite easily and then found it very difficult to catch it and put it back. Oh, it's, it's a bit like training a dog, you know, just... Teach it to sit. Yeah. <laughs> and so I suppose that was in my mind when I then thought, yes, and you could also, you know, what would your imagination look like if it was, would it fly around your head like a little bee or a little butterfly? And and what would your memory look like? I sort of imagined it would probably be a, a very shrewd-looking lizard-like thing. Anyway, in Blanca, they keep them in, in on their heads usually in little cages, but... Um, but some people just keep them loose in their beards. It depends you know, how, <laughs> how they feel. I love this concept so much. Anytime you wanted to write about Blanca again, I would be, I would be there for I'm that. I'm quite keen on the Mises myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my imagination, my temper, people say, my sense of humour is what it's all about. Yeah. And using uh, the analogy of because there is a character in the book who has perhaps lost control of his temper... And, um, Perhaps he certainly his, has. His, <laughs> the, the temper is out of control. <laughs> it is well and truly lost. And uh, Millie is able to apply logic on dog training from her world to help um, this Zolo uh, yes. control the temper. And I really loved that one moment where he's like, "Oh, well, you know, maybe I could give the temper a treat if it's being bad to like uh, placate the temper." And Millie uh, says, well, no. <laughs> no why, why would you reward that kind of behaviour? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you don't get 
Treats for being bad, treats for being <laughs> good. And, yeah. I, and I think that's, um, that's one of the geniuses of this book, which I think is going to really appeal to um, – it's it's the kind of the same sort of thing we were talking about that appeals to uh, you know that has a great appeal of like you know Toy Story or you know some of these great you know um, animations and things where where the children love the book but the parents that are reading the book um, to the child because this book is I think can start from a very very young age you you know as soon as the child can understand concepts of story I think this is the time to start to start mm. reading it so the absolute kid can read this to themselves but. Um, to uh, yeah, to have that appeal where you just you, you me as an adult was just like oh the way you've worded the oh. worded this is so clever, but that the kid is also still going to just really not not feel like they're being being you know taught a lesson. Oh mm. no, because that's not what you that's no. You know. <laughs> I I would never do that. No, it's not that. It's something I found amusing. And if it happens to be useful, I'm very glad. <laughs> yes, it is so funny and charming for, first and foremost. But it goes back to what you said of there being no age limit on a good story, whether it be for – I mean, there's an age limit on adult stories. That's a silly thing to say. <laughs> no age limit on a children's story uh, because, you know, a, a, a wonderful children's book should just speak to those deep truths um, whilst also being entertaining and, um, and in this case, very magical. <laughs> yes, uh, so that's one of the worlds that Millie visits. She also goes to Shimmer and Gallop. Um, <laughs> could we touch briefly on those ones? Well, in Shimmer, um, well, they go there to pick some flowers um, uh, for Eliza Van, and they're special flowers because they're everlastings and they can be used, for example, to sew on a dress. <laughs> uh, but, of course, there they meet the Shimmer Witch who is not... A pleasant character at all. Well, that's a traditional fairy tale trope, but I try to turn it a bit on, you know, on its head. I did love the way you did that. Yes, uh, absolutely. Another example of an important lesson being that appearances can be deceiving, know, be deceiving, but also <laughs> presented in such a um, entertaining way. Yeah, and who doesn't love a magical mirror? Oh yeah, indeed. But a nasty magical mirror. Yeah. <laughs> But that looked really pretty <laughs> and very appealing. And um, speaking of that world, well, one of the, the other great characters um, besides Millie, who is just, I think, just so rela- such a relatable character as well, which is great, is, um, is Victor. So how did you, like, what was the thinking behind making Victor sometimes a boy and sometimes not a boy, just... You're giving away my secrets there. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't say what, <laughs> what Victor <No>. was. <laughs> I think... I think I wanted, well, I wanted Millie to have a companion because when you're on a quest or an adventure, it's much easier if you've got someone to talk to, you know. Um, And so, and anyway, it's more fun. Yeah. And and, uh, Victor is um, Eliza Vander's companion and and apprentice, I suppose you'd say, helper. So he knows more about um, travelling through the different patches and pockets um, than course Millie possibly could because she's a complete uh, new chum as far as that's concerned um I just and I didn't want him to be particularly kind of heroic um or uh, um or even particularly agreeable no. in a way <laughs> so that in fact he was one of those people that when you earn his respect you're so you realize it's the real thing mm. that's what I like about Victor he never actually says says what he doesn't mean when he's talking about someone else. 
um, he sometimes claims heroism that really isn't true, <laughs> but at other times he does act in a heroic manner. I just I see him as a completely straightforwardly ordinary character, and and useful uh, for for Millie. Um, he's a he's a tiny bit taller than her, so presumably he's a tiny bit older. Older, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. That's the well, that's good because that's the impression that I got that he mm. was like. You know that one year older, and you know at that age when you're, mm. you know, you're just preteens, it's like that's a big, big difference if you're mm. if you're one year older, and you know, you know a little bit better than the <laughs> than the younger yes. the younger children. Yeah, and I I did like what you said about how he's not free and easy with praise. Not but, at all. No. Um, he does say I won't say what because you know we'll leave some things for the readers to discover, but he does uh, give his opinion of Millie, and she is able to overhear it and. Um, it shows the deep power that words can have when you're that age. She's a girl struggling with confidence, confidence and she's got some yeah. fear about the future and um, just a, just some kind words from someone can yes. do so Yes, even much. though she's sure he wouldn't have said them yeah. if she knew he could over, <laughs> she could overhear. Yeah. <laughs> and that's be true too. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, when, it's, when you know someone's respect is quite difficult to earn, it actually means quite a lot when you, yeah. you get that. Definitely. Can we talk more about Eliza Vander herself? Yes, what, what a character. Was, what was the inspiration? Or Well, at first I, it was the buttons that started it, <sighs> really. I mean, the, uh, because I have my grandmother's old button box and it's full to the brim with buttons and I, I know sorting through, a, you know, to find a button that mm-hmm. matches. I always think, you know, some of these buttons are so special, you know, and some of them are quite old, mm-hmm. some of them are in sets uh, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Also, of course, I've played lots of times with children, younger children, with the button box, yep. you know, because they like finding them. Matching ones. And anyway, yeah. you know, so, so running my fingers through them, I mean, I know it sounds kind of weird, but I <laughs> actually love the feeling of them. And mm. I love yep. the way they look. They're like lollies or cakes in a cake shop window. And they make a sound. Too. And they make this lovely <laughs> clicking sound, yeah, as if they're talking to each other. So there I was, you know, finding a button and thinking... Maybe these buttons are magic, and then I thought, "Ooh, you know, what if they were? And what if, what if the way you went somewhere?" And I, suddenly, that little rhyme came into my yes. mind. Oh, I, oh, buttons three, attend to me, take me where I want to be. I thought, "Oh, that's it. I mean, how lovely!" And oh, and then I remember this dressmaker. Um, I haven't seen her for a while, but uh, she made some dresses for me. And she had, she worked out of her home, but she had a sort of workroom built outside her house. And it was like a treasure cave filled mm. with bolts of material and tapes and all different things and masses of buttons. She loved buttons. And I thought, so who will own the button box but somebody like that, a dressmaker, but a dressmaker who doesn't just move from you know one suburb to the next or even stay in the same place but one who does the thing that I often think you know some people do do in the world which is slip between the layers find the chinks go into Mm. other worlds that exist in with our own Eliza Vander calls them patches and inside patches there are different pockets and she visits visits them and some of them are very strange indeed, and some of them are like ours. Uh, making clothes for a very special clientele. 
And perhaps doing some mending. And doing after. a little bit of mending. And I absolutely, that's another thing that I loved, yes. talking about mending, which is mending clothes, but mending, which is mending things that are broken. <laughs> in a yeah. more um, Problem-solving. Problem-solving way, yeah. So she's, she's actually terribly well-known as a problem solver, it mm. turns out, as well as, as, a, as a dressmaker. Yeah. And people are calling on her all the time. So, of course, when Millie goes um, instead of her to certain things, that's how Millie finds herself drawn in to the problems. And proves to be herself a budding young member. Yes, <laughs> indeed, by using a lot of human mm. nous, like how to catch a spider, for example. Yeah. Oh, yes. I loved, I loved so much how things would echo. So uh, things from the real world playing out mm. in the patch and vice versa. Um, that Sometimes was people think that, you, you know, just because you live an ordinary life, like Millie does, you don't know anything. But in fact, you know an awful lot. You mm. think, kids especially think they don't know anything. I used to think I knew nothing. And could, could uh, how could I write an interesting book when all I knew was boring? Was, yeah. You know? But it's not like, in fact, you know an awful lot. You just don't realise how much you know. That's about seeing the value and magic in the, what you view to be ordinary and dull. Yes. Yeah. And we, we always have a, none of us are, I think, that great at understanding that about ourselves. You know, it does take often someone else to come and point that out to you or for you to be put into a situation that mm. you've um, not been in before that you can realise, that's when you realise that you can actually do more. Oh, and to I, perhaps read a wonderful book. Yes. That out for you. <laughs> but I love that there's a mystery in here um, as well that, mm. um, that creeps up as well. It's just, it's just such a great combination of things. And there's another fairy tale that you do a little bit of... Uh, playing around with. Playing around with as well, um, which I think was might have been even my fav- my favourite one in the in the, in the book. A bit of a frog prince um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> turn around. <laughs> yes, yes, I I enjoyed that very much. Yes, and and the and the whole book sort of, you know, there are various worlds mentioned, but she only visits the three, but they're plenty, don't you think? And she gets into a lot of trouble in, in all of them. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's perfectly done. And you've, you've told us a bit about your inspiration for it. Um, and it seems as though, I mean, I know we had the experience of reading it. It was extraordinarily fun. Was it a fun writing experience for It you? was terrifically good fun. Uh, that's, uh, it, it sounds terrible, really. It sounds as though that means it's a trivial book. It's not that. No, 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 no. no, no it no. was just delight. It was a delight. Yes, that's how I, we felt reading it. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, working out, uh, I, I actually loved Millie's own pocket, you know, Tidgy Bay. Oh. I felt very much as though I knew it and lived in it. Yep. Mm. I loved the yep. idea of the holiday cabins, each with their own name on the door and, and things. Um, and writing about Eliza and Victor... And their afternoon teas and the things that they ate <laughs> and and going to all these places and seeing these weird things and then being able to cope with it, I found, yes, there really wasn't a part of it that I wasn't smiling, literally. When you I think that I is wrote. infused into the story. I really do. I feel like there's some magic in that when, when you read a book and it's so delightful and so funny and so moving. I just feel like the... Ex- your experience writing it is somehow trapped in the words. Oh, uh, well, I'm glad because that's how <laughs> it was. It was a, a gorgeous, gorgeous time for me. It's strange seeing it out in the world now. I mean, to tell I you the truth. I can't wait for kids oh, to start reading it. That's the it. thing is that we have to explain. Booktopia is an online bookstore. Oh, yes. And, so and we can't show you visual aids we, in a podcast. No. But <laughs> we can explain. <laughs> 
holding, as a physical object. We're all holding a copy and um, we have not been able to stop sort of our fingers running across the, the cover. It's, it's uh, debossed, which means that the that the writing is sort of underneath the main cover and the pinks and the greens and the the little, and the, the all the details. The intricacies of, sh- shall we talk about um, the il- book cover illustrator and designer? We were discussing them yes. a bit before. Um, um, yeah, Hazel, Hazel Lamb. Is the designer is the book and Jessica designer. Cruikshank is is the one who yes. did the illustrations. Yeah, and well, the job. illustrations and the yeah beautiful coloured envelope papers. Jessica also did. His name was Walter. It's oh, the same, same. You know, same one style. Designer oh. of that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It is a stunning book. The illustration is really intricate. Down to um, the there is we haven't mentioned Sultan. Sultan oh, is a. Oh, how Sultan. could we have not <laughs> mentioned Sultan? Such a catalyst for so much for a whole plotline in the book. Yes, very important <laughs> figure in the book. Featured on the cover, um, Sultan is a cat. And, <laughs> yes, and very unpleasant cat actually. <laughs> oh yes, he's not. He's not one that you'd. Want. Although his owner thinks everyone wants wants her cat. Yeah. Oh, and we didn't. I mean, we, we oh. briefly touched on uh, the fairy tale trope of a evil witch. Um, but one of my perhaps one of my favourite lines in the book, um, and actually there's two. Can I? I'll, I'll just, okay. <laughs> we'll talk about we'll talk about this first one. Is when um, there's a the character in the book, Mrs. Meany, and. There's a point at which she's being particularly mean, and then um, as she sweeps out, Eliza Fander very like just has a line where she says, "Oh, that's a sad case. <laughs> Imagine, you know, being a wicked witch with no powers." And it was such a great, it was such a great line. I, I have thought that myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's connected to my other favorite recurring little part in the book, which is, um, you know, Eliza responds to that person with some empathy and sorrow that it, that it must be hard to, to be a wicked witch with that power. But she also will never – forgive me, I can't remember the exact wording of this, but will never squash a bug no matter how. Yes, well, that's yeah. what um, um, another character says of her. Yeah. Says, um, you know, oh, you know, some people think that she ought to have been harder on this particular person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Eliza's not one for squashing bugs, even poisonous ones. <laughs> I really like that. I like that. I'm gonna rem- I think that will stay with me and I'll remember it the next time I'm feeling extremely irritated with someone. <laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah, like I said, <laughs> kids will read this and just love it. Adults will read this and be like, I have learned some lessons today <laughs> of how I, how, I should be, um, how I should be behaving towards others. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really special book. I'm I'm so delighted to have read it. I'm so thankful that you've been able to come in and speak to us today. It's oh, thank wonderful. you for having me. Can we ask what you might be working on on next? Yeah, are we allowed to ask that? Well, well you know, it might rub the magic off. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I will say that I hope there's more. Uh, I've already beleaguered you about this <laughs> previous to recording this podcast the ending of this book leaves things open for a return to this world just a bit yeah so whether you know whether that happens or not it's a beautiful ending I personally hope to see Eliza Vander again someday because um, I enjoyed living in the pages of this book so very much oh thank you very much well um, everyone uh, in here and everyone who's listening, you can a copy of Eliza Vanden's Button Box as well as all the very many beloved backlist titles of Emily Rodder 
on at your local bookstore or online at Booktopia. Thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au. Thank you.